Hello, and welcome to What's Killing My Kale. This podcast is a production of the University of Minnesota Extension, hosted by Extension educators Annie Claude and Natalie Hoytel. In each episode, we interview a farmer, researcher, or educator about a timely topic around growing fruit and vegetable crops in Minnesota. Usually we talk about pests, but sometimes we venture into other important issues of the moment. Hi everyone, this is Natalie, and I am here today with Anthony Hansen, who is an Extension postdoc, and he has been working on posting degree day models for various insect pests in Minnesota. We're really excited about this. It's a really useful tool for vegetable growers, um, but it can be a little bit complicated. And so we wanted to bring Anthony on the podcast to just kind of explain what he's doing and how growers can use this information that he's putting out. Um, so Anthony, can you just introduce yourself, give us some background on maybe how you got to this point, why you're excited about degree day models? Sure. I'm glad to be here. So I started off, um, I grew up here in Minnesota, and I grew up on a beef farm. We also had uh, corn, soybeans, alfalfa. But with the fruit and vegetable aspect, I got into that a little bit later. Uh, worked with Bill Hutchison when I started here at the U of M uh, just before grad school. So that's kind of been my mixture of both kind of the agronomy into things and a little bit of the horticulture as well. And basically what got me into studying insects was integrated pest management trying to figure out kind of what to do with insects with all the different tactics we have, but also kind of how to predict if they're going to be a problem or not. And that's what I've gotten into now. So I've worked before with biological control for things like emerald ash borer, and then uh, working with population dynamics and control methods for soybean aphid as well. And that's kind of led into this position where uh, we're working with degree days now, trying to figure out how to predict when a certain stage of an insect is present or if something has migrated up. Uh, from down south, let's say, after the winter, when might it start to be a problem once you know it's uh, already here? Okay, so let's just jump right into these maps that you've been making. Can Mm -hmm. you just explain what they are and what they're telling us about various pest species? Sure. So we'll just start off uh, just a little background on these maps that we make. Uh, They're basically degree day maps showing uh, a certain life stage, when that might be occurring within the year. And backtracking just a little bit, these maps are based on basically just temperature data. So it's the daily maximum and minimum temperature for each day. And this is provided by the National Pest Phenology Network for the data we use. So we have basically little grids of daily maximum and minimum temperatures for each day. It's about two and a half kilometers or one and a half mile or square miles. So it's very high resolution data that we use. So we can create these maps of all of Minnesota or even the upper Midwest in general for this range that we work on in these maps. And basically what we have is temperature for year to date and then also a seven day forecast. So we can get a little bit of a forecast out there as well if we know what the situation looks like right now and also what it might look like in seven days. And we can keep updating that. It's currently about twice a week that we update these maps. Okay, so you're getting really up-to-date data on what we're actually seeing and then mm-hmm. having a little bit of a forecast, yep. too. Mm-hmm. So just to back up a little bit, um, I think degree days are not something we talk about a lot. Um, can you just kind of explain the general concept of a degree day mm-hmm. and why, why it's so simple to predict insect development based on temperature? Sure. So insects are kind of like plants in the sense they're essentially cold-blooded where they match the temperature of their environment. So they're not like us where we maintain a constant temperature where we'll be a lot warmer than the environment in the winter and also most of the summer as well aside from really hot days. 
So with insects, they're a little different than people as well because uh, with mammals, us, and basically anything that's warm-blooded, generally you measure their age just by time. So if something's been alive for a year, you know it's one year old, and you can generally know about what size it's going to be or how far it's developed. Insects, it's a little bit more complicated because it's a combination of time, but also how much heat they've essentially accumulated. So they develop because they have more heat they're experiencing. And this is kind of a concept called the lower developmental threshold, where insects, if they're below a certain temperature, they just won't develop at all. And that's where this gets really important to track this development for insects, because if it's been, let's say, 40 degrees Fahrenheit for a couple weeks, and the insect doesn't develop until it hits 50 degrees, you're not going to see anything happening with that insect. And then also, as it starts to warm up, it will develop quicker and quicker. And sometimes you can get to a point where it's too warm, where it'll stop developing or slow down again. Here in Minnesota, we don't see that as often. It's usually not that warm most days in the summer. Mm -hmm. But usually, once we get to the peak of summer, insects can really develop quickly when it gets pretty warm. Okay. So on the maps that you're putting out, on, the, on every figure legend, it'll say LT, which is lower threshold, and mm -hmm. UT upper threshold. Yep. And that depends on the species too. Some species, they will have a much lower de developmental threshold. And then other species, they won't even have what we call an upper threshold, or it might just be we don't put that in the model because we don't really need it. So it's really a variable where some species, they might be developing it almost close to freezing, just slightly above that, maybe in the 40s. And then there are others where it might not be until it's almost 60 degrees that you actually see some development. So it's and that's really why you have different models for different insects because they're not starting at the same points, basically. Exactly, yeah. And there are some where, um, depending on the winter too as well, they might come out of what we call diapause, and that can basically be a period where they're essentially in dormancy, and they will come out of it maybe due to increasing sunlight, or it could be a combination of that and how much temperature they've experienced already that's just warm enough for a long enough period of time. So it can get pretty complicated for how, all the different ways these insects can emerge in the spring, and then you get into this development over the summer as well. Yeah, so let's talk about that and just kind of the complexities of that. So once we know that an insect is starting to develop, we have pretty predictable models that say we need this many accumulated heat units for the first instar of this larva and the second instar up to adulthood. But how do we figure out when to start that process based on is it based on flight data and what we're catching in traps? Is it based on an assumption that at this point in time this insect is coming out of diapause? Like, what is the process for developing that start date? Mm -hmm. So it's as always it's complicated depending on each situation. Mm -hmm. So the easiest ones are basically a model that says April first you can start accumulating degree days. And usually what's happened is people have done field experiments over multiple years, and they've kind of created an average date when they know that in general, around this period, maybe within a week or two, then you know those insects are starting to develop. So it's not too much of a worry about timing based on temperature. That's a case where it might just be amount of sunlight in the year. There are other ones where it's more complicated, where maybe they've migrated up from the south. They can't survive here in the winter. But when they come here in the spring, we don't always know when that's going to be. It could be a storm front blew them up, or it has to be other conditions that are just right for them. So in that case, we can't really 
be at our computers and predicting it based on temperature. We have to have in the field data. So that's where you're collecting trap data. And that can be variable where sometimes you can get just a one lone individual fly up and you might not see much more for um, part of the season. And in those cases where if a model's based on basically the first catch of an insect for the year, that can be a pretty variable model. And depending on the species, that can also affect your reliability too. So that's one thing where we also look at, uh, is this a good model that's well validated based on this data? And is it something we can recommend to growers to go and use pretty regularly? There are other ones where they can still be used, but there's a lot of caution and we'll put that caution out there too. And there might be some models where we might have them available, but we might not base recommendations off of them as much as we do other data, such as being out in the field and checking your plants, see if you have problems out there. So for so on this, on VegEd, um, and we'll talk more about how to find these models in a little bit, but you have five different species on there right now. Mm -hmm. And so considering all this variability, how sure are you basically of these models and like how much stock should growers be putting into these models and making management decisions? Mm -hmm. Sure. So as I kind of mentioned, we have our caveats and also models that we're more confident about. Mm -hmm. So the ones that are currently on this VegEd's website are ones that we're pretty confident about where we've, we know that there's good validation on this data and they're also um, not based on more arbitrary start dates uh, based on catches, it's more well-known as of April 1st or so on. It's generally good data when you start it from that point. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what we try to do, a little bit of this ground truthing if it's available to know that these are good models and we can recommend them just to uh, look at what recommendations those models make and they can be pretty reliable. But you should always be ground truthing as well where if these models say it's high risk for an insect at this point, you don't go out and start spraying plants. You go and see, is it actually out here yet? Because these models will tell you the timing of when an insect might be around in the season. But it doesn't tell you the actual risk in a specific uh, plant or area, such as um, you know an orchard or some other fields. So if you have historical problems, and we're also saying that it's a high risk at this time, that's when you know I really need to get out and check. If you historically don't have a problem, then you may not be as worried. You should still keep an eye out for it. And that's kind of how you figure out your management tactics too, where if it's a mixture of kind of your history risk and we're also saying this is the time of year to really check. So you basically see this as an alert system mm -hmm. saying yep. we're starting to see larvae or insects in whatever stage go out and mm -hmm. make sure that you're really monitoring for it. Yeah, and we try to put out alerts when we know uh, an insect is just starting to emerge in Minnesota. So one example right now is seed corn maggot. That's just started to show up at the southern border of Minnesota. And across this next week into about July 1st or so, it should be starting to show up uh, throughout most of Minnesota. I'd say aside from maybe like the Duluth area and whatnot, that should have a little more time. So that's one where that's actually the second generation of that insect. There was a previous generation earlier this season that affects more corn and soybean growers because they're planting around then. But now we have a mixture of, uh, let's say, sweet corn. That might be a problem where people are planting now. And that second generation, when you plant, if that second generation is at a peak for population size, then your plants are going to be pretty high risk for damage. 
So that's to the kind of early warning system we try to put in a little bit to give a heads up that you know you might want to think about delaying planting or trying to get in a little bit earlier from that uh, generation peak if you can. So it's part of the management decisions there too where if you can't plant any later there may not be as much you can do. There might be some seed treatments you have to consider if that can be part of your management program. But in other cases, we would just say try to avoid planting in that maybe weak window. And that's a good way to avoid pest damage in the cases like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll also just say, I know that our listeners are at very different levels. Some mm -hmm. are really, really experienced farmers. Others are just beginning. Um, and of these five models, like three of them have corn in the name. But mm -hmm. some of these insects do also affect other um, vegetable crops. So. Yep. I guess don't write this off just because it says corn in it. These are exactly. still valuable models for vegetable growers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was going to say another example exactly like that is corn borer, which we list, which obviously it will go after corn, mm -hmm. but it can also go after other vegetables as well. So I know uh, snap beans has been one where it can occasionally be a pest. It depends on the population densities in your area again, where European corn borer has been suppressed pretty well now lately where there aren't high populations, but there are some areas with pockets of it, so that might be a concern for some people as well. Yeah. Um, so where can people find these models? Mm -hmm. Sure, so there are two ways to find it. One is it's housed on the VegEd's website, which is vegedge.umn.edu. Otherwise, you can just search for Minnesota Insect Degree Days, and that should bring it up as one of the first search results. And Otherwise, um, kind of mentioned before a little bit about we don't really predict population size with these models. There are some ways to forecast that that we're working on as well, but that's very much in the pipeline. There are some species we can do that with, but we uh, don't know for sure what we can show on that quite yet. That's still very much a work in progress, but that is one thing we hope to do with corn borer, for an example, where we do statewide surveys, at least in field corn, but we can know in a general area of Minnesota, if there's a high risk for other growers, well, such as sweet corn or other vegetable growers that might be affected by it. Mm -hmm. So there's quite a bit going on with this insect forecasting. We're uh, developing quite a bit, both of this phenology and other methods. So there should be more updates coming to this VegEdge website as well. Um, and I'll also mention on the VegEdge page, there is some trapping data as mm -hmm. well for various insects. Um, and additionally, for some of these insects, the IPM program is looking for other sites, and so it might be possible if there's an insect that you, as a farmer, are really worried about or have had issues with, um, that we could potentially set up a trap at your farm or near your farm. There are some things, like for spotted wing drosophila, where it's really easy to make your own trap. And mm -hmm. um, So I don't know if you have anything to say about making your own traps, uh, but I think that's an additional thing that you can do to kind of supplement information like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, again, it can entirely depend on the species. There are some traps where it's just a pheromone trap. All you do is essentially order this little tag or a piece of plastic that has the pheromone in it, mm -hmm. and you can basically design your own trap around that. Or there's uh, you know certain recommendations that you can usually find online or different guides that are available with them. But you can purchase traps as well that are basically pre-made and you just got to stick some wires through them and hang them up. Yeah. So it, it really depends on the species. But yeah, most of these traps are pretty simple. So like spotted wing drosophila, it's a matter of just a mixture of a few different things and you know, putting in a jar pretty much for some cases. So it can be pretty simple.
All right. Well, is there anything else you want to add or any final thoughts about degree day models? Uh, sure. Uh, basically, we are just about July right now, so there's a lot of the growing season left. And usually with the these uh, pest updates, we try to let people know when, say, a damaging life stage is going to be occurring or if it's a more vulnerable stage. So there's a lot of the growing season left where that can be coming up. So definitely uh, keep track of what might be going on. We'll try to keep updates for uh, different insect developments as the season go on. There are some that have basically wrapped up where they're not going to be a problem anymore. And that kind of helps with these models where we can say, okay, you don't have to worry about, uh, let's say, if you have alfalfa, alfalfa weevil anymore. But there are others that are kind of just starting to brew up a little bit and maybe July and August we might have to be keeping an eye for more things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you. Yep.